Welcome to the Streamline Training Show, where we teach busy people to cut through the noise around health and fitness to find a few fundamental truths that will let you make real changes to your habits so you can get maximum fitness results in minimal time using the smallest, most powerful frameworks. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Johnny Wilson, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Laura Wilson. My sweet and lovely wife. (laughs) It is the first recording of the new year. Our first, interestingly enough, our first uh, podcast of the new year dropped on Monday, day one of 2024. And we recorded it in December of 23. Two days before. Yeah, literally two days before. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the first recording of the new year for us so far. So how's the new year going, babe? Well, happy new year. Thank you. Happy new year. Um, How's the new year going? What uh, today is like? I don't even know. Yeah, we're I've been, almost I've been a having weekend. a hard time figuring out what day it is. Yeah, it's it's been strange because we haven't really gotten into our typical work rhythm yet. Mm-hmm. So good, I guess. <laughs> um, Question mark. <laughs> yeah, I literally can't remember like the first day of the year to now what we did. Exciting times in the Wilson house. <laughs> Went to work a couple of days, mm-hmm. but not for full days. Mm-hmm. Um, but those were good days. Did some some fun uh, faculty workshopping mm, and I'm working sure on fun. syllabi <laughs> and uh, prepping classes, which I actually enjoy. I like to kind of set out a plan for the year, so that's fun. Other than that, just kind of hanging around with you and Annie and trying to get some good habits going this year. What about you? How's your first week been? Really good because I'm my own boss now. I'm well. I guess I'm not fully quote unquote. Uh, self-employed because I'm still part-time at the university. Sure. Training three teams. But I've only been training one. Only one is in season right now. And so I've just been training basketball. And the rest of the time, I've been working on the business. Yeah. Working on coaching. Business. Is, yeah, business. Which is really <laughs> cool. And I, I've really been enjoying it so far. So thank you for asking. Uh, it is New Year. We talked a little bit about goals in the last episode. But have you clarified or solidified any habits or goals you're trying to achieve this year? I have. I went about it slightly different than I have in the past. Okay. Uh, typically what I do is like write an actual like smart goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time to bound, time right. bound. Yes. But this year I decided to do it a little differently, mainly because of the way that we did our family um, summit. Yeah. We called it the family summit, but the time <laughs> we spent together dreaming about the vision for our family and mission for our family and, some habits we wanted to create there. So I kind of went based off that and did a 2024 Laura. Mm, mm-hmm. So at so, the end of 24? Yeah. At the end of 24, I want to look back and be like, this is who Laura was this yeah. past year, which hopefully doesn't look that different from who I am now, sure. but I want to take some steps to move towards the the 2024 Laura. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of based that off of my values, which... Surprise, surprise, they're the same as Johnny's. A shocker. Faith, family, <laughs> fitness, and excellence. I Which, did have a couple of other words, but yeah. I realized that faith encapsulated those, so mm-hmm. I, I dropped them to make uh, spitting them off a little easier. Mm-hmm. And we came up with those independently. We, we did, did those yeah. Those are not joint uh, values. And if you know now. us individually, I think that you would agree that... I hope so. Yes. That they're equally relevant to both of us. Right. Mm-hmm. I think probably fitness is a little higher on yours, mm-hmm. even though we have them in the same order. I would probably say health over fitness, but I like the alliteration, so I keep the <laughs> fitness in there. And I always want to be working towards fitness and, and uh, beyond health. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I use my values and 
essentially made like vision statements for each of those. So under faith, this is who I want to be. Under mm-hmm. family, this is who I want to be. And then based off what I want to look like at the end of 2024, I wrote down habits daily, weekly, monthly, mm-hmm. um, things I should put in place, rhythms and systems that would get me there. Mm-hmm. And so... Basically, like, what is 2024 Laura doing, or what does she do, have done, or does she currently do that makes her the things you want it to be? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, for my faith value, it's uh, the 2024 Laura wants to know, love, and reflect God. Mm-hmm. And Which so, I would say 2023 Laura did, too. I hope so. But I hope by the end of <laughs> 2024 so. that it's um, even more evident, mm-hmm. those three things are. And so, some daily habits I have would be... Uh, scripture before phone. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Justin Whitmore Early. Shout mm-hmm. out again yeah. from the common rule. Um, kneeling prayer three times a day, which I haven't done very well. It actually started with Advent, mm-hmm. um, doing the three times. It's just a, a one-line prayer throughout the day. Um, Sabbath. Mm-hmm. We try to we try to Sabbath weekly. What else was in there? Oh, I put journaling because I haven't been very good at writing during my quiet time. So I added that in three times a week. And why is that important to you? Is it because you feel like you need to journal to be a good Christian? No, I've just learned that my memory fails me. Yeah. <laughs> and reflection is really important. And I think that as believers, we're called to reflect. Mm-hmm. Um, looking forward can sometimes be easier when we can also look backwards. Mm-hmm. So like if there's yeah if there's something coming up in your life that you're anxious about, being able to reflect back and see how the Lord's been faithful is really beneficial. Mm-hmm. But if I haven't recorded that, sometimes I forget. So just you know taking time to write out some prayers or some answered prayers, mm-hmm. whatever whatever the Lord leads. Um, but yeah, those are some things that I want to put in place, and we'll see what 2024 Laura looks like. It's a funny year to write goals because very early in the year, my life is going to change drastically with yeah. the introduction of a son mm-hmm. baby number two so it's interesting when you know your life is going to change because yeah. a lot of big life changes are mm, milestones or stage related right you know so you got graduation from high school graduation yeah. from college uh if you get married and then if you have a kid and there's a bunch of other life changes that are not yeah and so it's always interesting to consider preparing or trying to ready your heart for a, a life change that you know is predictably coming. Yes, but you don't really know what it's going to look like That's when right. it does come. <laughs> yeah, you know your life's going to change, but you don't really know right. what it's going to be like. I think uh, Jim Hensel says, you're never going to be ready, but you can be prepared. Right. Yeah. And so that's, which we have like five weeks before the baby comes-ish, mm-hmm. five-ish weeks. And so trying to create some of those small patterns now mm-hmm. that will hopefully stick when he's here too. Mm-hmm. But I also remember how dramatically different my life was when Annie yeah. came into the world. So mm-hmm. yeah, just want to want to create whatever patterns I can with also holding those very loosely, yeah. knowing that there's grace for <laughs> the way 2024 could go. Yeah, and there's I remember... When we first had Annie, my old habits stopped working. They just didn't fit with Annie in the picture anymore. Yeah. And one of the biggest lessons I learned was not necessarily that I had to install new habits that would always work, but I just had to be ready to install new systems. Yeah. And and I needed to be ready to make decisions based on the outcomes. Yeah. So if something is working for our family and then our family changes, 
and it's no longer working, then we need to upgrade the system right. or it's change not the that, rhythm or change the habit. It's not that you change or Correct. what you value changes. It's just how you accomplish mm-hmm. what you want to accomplish may have to change. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So I'm, that's one of the things I'm thinking about as the, the boy approacheth <laughs> is what do I need to be ready to change? And really it's not what, it's am I ready to change? Mm-hmm. Am, if I'm ready to change, then I'm, I'm more confident that I can continue to move myself and our family forward yeah well it's worth thinking about for sure mm-hmm. what about you have you uh put any words to goals for the year i haven't put many and i do this almost every year i think about goals for like a week to a month yeah. before i write them down and so I I do this, good. I've done this for the past couple of years where it seems most appropriate to write them down january 1st and start tackling them but why yeah there's no i mean i could have done it in december yeah you know there's no rule that says i have to have them done january 1st right and so I've been thinking about what I want to accomplish and who I want to become, but most of my thinking happens as I write. Yeah. And uh, I've been uh, intentionally waiting for sort of the inspiration to hit, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's, I think that inspiration hits on demand sometimes. Like if you really want to drum up some motivation, you can. Sure. But I've been trying to, to slowly wait until I feel like I've got some other things kind of nailed down yeah. like finishing this dining room table <laughs> that almost there. I'm almost finished with uh getting things settled in my new office at work getting some of my new rhythms in place because yeah. I've, I feel like I have a little bit more stability but I will have some more pen and paper ideas very soon I know I want to do 24 books I want to read 24 physical books this year nice which means I'm going to have to rearrange some of my consuming as in media consumption yeah if I if I watch the same amount of YouTube or TV or shows or movies, then I probably will not be able to get books in without staying up later. And I don't want to stay up later. Right. So I'm going to have to arrange my consumption and my sleep habits a little bit. Yeah. So I know I'm going to have some goals around those. I have some new fitness goals. I'm in a weight loss um, slash fat loss phase right now. So some of those goals are going to come into play, but I haven't put them all hard into a journal yet, which I will do. Yeah. Well, you're like me on steroids right now because not only are you anticipating the coming of our son but you're transitioning to a new job at the beginning mm, of the year yeah mm-hmm. so trying to set goals and habits and rhythms when you just don't really know yet mm-hmm. what your day-to-day could look like mm-hmm. it's it's difficult mm-hmm. not gonna use that as a crutch no because no, no. I've, i know that I've, if i want to walk toward what i value i have to start well i have to be sure that i'm at least engaging in habits that are going to make me go that right. way which i already am yeah. a lot of them, but yeah. I want to be sure that where I want to go right now, especially based on our family summit, the ideas that we had, mm-hmm. I want to be ready to walk that way. Yes, I agree. It just makes it a little more challenging. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I definitely won't uh, disagree with that. Yeah. But uh, this is a very relevant conversation to our topic today because, correct me if I'm wrong, we're talking today about how to install systems to make some of these goals more automatic. Yeah. Put it on auto- autopilot. Yeah. And so we're trying to discuss what we can do specifically on the training side Mm -hmm. and the nutritional side to to put some of these goals on autopilot. Yeah. So we use the word systems a lot. How would you define that? Because we talk about, and it's Mm -hmm. in our vernacular, that's Mm -hmm. how we talk to one another Mm -hmm. about things that we do, rhythms we have. Mm -hmm. But if you were to explain it to someone who maybe doesn't use the term systems like we do, how would you describe it? In the business and military world, they use standard operating procedures as yeah. a more clearly defined method of using systems. And that's what I would really call it is 
uh, an algorithmic approach to achieving a certain goal. Yeah. So if this happens, then I do this. Mm-hmm. If I do this and this outcome occurs, I do X, Y, or Z. And based on that outcome, I do X, Y, or Z. But it's all within the confines of this general system that's producing a, an output of some kind. So okay. the system itself is set up such that I should be able to reproducibly um, put in so many inputs and know which outputs I'll receive. Sure. So the system is the process by which inputs become outputs. And so in a very in the, like common speak, it's just making routines in my lifestyle mm-hmm. that lead to almost undeniable outcomes. So can you give an example of one or two systems that you have in place currently? Yeah, so my nutritional system is based on routine and one or two landmarks. So routine would be, I eat the same breakfast every day. And <laughs> you actually just changed. I did. Yeah, I went from week. bagels to English muffins. Yeah. <laughs> Dramatic change. <laughs> uh, but I typically eat that six times a week, and then on the seventh, or the, the off time, we'll eat um, pancakes or a, a different breakfast mm-hmm. of some kind. But I would eat seven. If they made English muffins in packs of seven instead of six, I'd have them every day of the week. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have pancakes with Annie on Saturday mornings? I'd have both. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Okay. Because <laughs> I wake up an hour or two before Annie does. So that's one of them is routine. I eat the same thing. Uh, and then I have the same exact snack every day at 9 to 9.30. I have the same exact snack every night before I go to bed. And I usually have the same exact snack between 3 and 5 p.m. every day. So yeah. I never change those four, three or four mm-hmm. inputs. And then I use lunch and dinner as my malleable inputs And then I cycle through a very select amount of meals during those two inputs so that I have a predictable output for my nutrition. If you weren't married to me, would your lunch and dinner be the same every day? Almost. Yeah, almost. (laughs) Almost exclusively. (laughs) For a long time before we were married, it was exactly the same every day. (laughs) Yeah. And we, we probably, I don't know what, what you guys out there who are listening to, but we typically like rotate through the same meals mm-hmm. anyway so we eat pretty similar meals it's every kinda week it's kind of like clothes like you yeah. you have a bunch of clothes but you have like seven or eight outfits they're like these are the ones i wear yeah sure but it is funny to think like if i was not in your life it would be probably the same meal all the time on repeat mm-hmm. yeah. i remember before we were dating i would have the same dinner th- usually 3 days in a row before i switched it up and then yeah. i'd have the same lunch 5 to 7 days a week yeah but then you, we got married. I remember you telling me, I think we need some variety. Yeah, I was a little bored. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, I guess so. And so we, we broadened out a little bit and started rotating through five or six it's meals It's still always like beef or chicken. Though. Pretty much, It's not yeah. that different. Yeah, pretty but, much. You know, Every now and again, we'll have pork or turkey. Change in flavor. And yeah. Get some different Genre. micronutrients mm-hmm. when we mm-hmm. eat some different things. Yeah. But that's yeah. what I mean by system. I know what all the inputs are. And I know that how I change each of them could lead to a different output. And so selecting the output is as simple as changing the input. Yeah. And I have all of those defined. So the system is very simple. Sure. Inputs and outputs. And my selection of the output is determined by my selection of the input. And yeah. because I already have identified all of the inputs and the way that the system works, then output selection is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. At least it's very simple. Sure. <clears throat> And again, this is, you've been doing it for a while mm-hmm. and you've had systems in place for a while, mm-hmm. but it is, it takes a lot of the, the mental work out of looking for mm-hmm. how to obtain a goal, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because mm-hmm. uh, you've already got the system in place. You just mm-hmm. got to change your input. And That's then right. if your output is your goal, then mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. 
We'll get we'll get more uh, definitive on that soon. Sure. We'll give some examples. All right. So let's jump into some systems. Let's start with like, I, I think we should probably touch training systems and nutritional systems. Mm-hmm. So if we start with the training systems, what are things that listeners, clients, uh, novice gym goers, or what we were talking about the other day, people who actually go to the gym all the time mm-hmm. and just don't have systems in place. Mm-hmm. What systems can they incorporate uh, starting like today mm-hmm. that would help them maximize their gains with minimal time? And I and I want to say effort, but setting the system is does take effort. Oh, yeah. But once the system is a well-oiled machine, mm-hmm. it minimizes the effort as well. Oh, yeah. So what kind of systems are are able are available to be applied today and i think maybe maybe you can uh, correct me if you would like to do this differently but i think let's start with even before the workout begins Mm -hmm. what are ways what are systems i can put in place yeah i think that's a good place to start because i've had uh i had a conversation with at least one person this past week and then not too long ago, almost the exact same conversation with people that have been asking me the question they always do. What's which that is, question? What should I do in the gym? Yeah. <laughs> or how should I work out? Or yeah. what, what plan should I use? Well, and it's people who go to the gym regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or have a, a history of working out. Sure. And my answer, I mean, I, I kind of smile to myself every time they ask this question, the ubiquitous they ask this question, but it's always, what do you want? Like, what are you trying to get out of your workouts? Mm -hmm. And that's the first question you got to ask because your training system is going to be defined by your training goal. Absolutely. So you select a system that gets you to your goal. And so if you think of it as different cars, you know, like I need a car that can get me from A to B as fast as possible. Minivan. (laughs) It's probably not the minivan. (laughs) It's probably the Maserati or the Ferrari or, you know, whatever these street legal cars. Or you might be thinking, I need to get A to B across a, a relatively flat parcel of land with no road think a dirt bike atv side by side right so where i'm trying to go and what parameters i have set along the way are going to determine the system that i use to get there Mm -hmm. so i mean the easiest thing is where do i want to go with this training what do i hope to get out of it which is what we've been talking about for episodes for weeks now right what's your goal it's just the most important thing if you don't answer that question everything else is irrelevant that's right but then once you select that goal you select the program Mm -hmm. so selecting a great goal and then a poor system is aligned to trying to get across an unpaved parcel of land in a minivan. It's yeah. just not going to be fun. You could right. probably do it, but you probably won't get there as fast as you'd like. And when you get there, you won't feel the way you want to feel. Yeah. And heck, you might not even be able to get there, right? depending on what obstacles pop up along the way. Yeah. So I do think that selecting the goal and then selecting the system that applies to the goal are really important. And so that's just as simple as I know I want to gain a little bit of muscle. Um, and I want to do it in a way that doesn't require me to work out more than four days a week. Yeah. Okay. So you look for a muscle building program designed to get you in and out of the gym four days per week mm-hmm. without wasting a whole lot of time. Yeah. All right. There you go. You've already got a big system set for you because you can just go find a program that does that. I was about to say, you don't have to do that yourself. No. Someone else has already done that for you. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> they want a little bit of money normally yeah, most in return. Of the time. <laughs> there is an app called Boost Camp for those that are interested who listen. B-O-O-S-T-C-A-M-P. And it's a free app with a ton of free programs by big names in the space. Looking at Greg Knuckles, Lane Norton. Um, there's a guy on there, uh, Brett Contreras, I think has a program. Candido, Johnny Candido has, a, I think, a program on there. 
Alex Bromley. Anyway, all these big names in the fitness space that have created programs that are free on this app that will track your weights and give you prescriptions wow. based on what you want. Three days a week, four days a week, powerlifting, power building, bodybuilding, endurance, whatever you're trying to do for free. Yeah. So all you got to do is scour the interwebs or talk to a trusted source and get a program. And that's the first system. Yeah. It's just the training system. It's the plan that you're going to do. And then you have to build systems around that plan okay. to make sure you get it done. What, are, what do you mean by that? So you got to start reducing friction. We talked about this in the last episode, reducing friction in a predictable way that ensures you're going to get the workouts done every week. What kind of friction do you think people deal with the most? First one that comes to my mind is time. Yeah. That's so, the big one. Yeah. How can you... How can you eliminate that friction? Interestingly enough, I see it the same as my nutritional system, inputs and outputs. And the only way you can make informed decisions about inputs and outputs is you got to know what's going on. Yeah. Most people that have issues with time, they say they don't have enough time to work out or they don't have enough time to read books or, or whatever they, they want to accomplish. They don't know what they're spending their time on. Yeah. Legitimately. Very few, I have met very few people that say, I don't have enough time to do X. And after investigation, actually tell me, yeah. 14 of my available 15 hours per day are scheduled and the last unscheduled hour is with my spouse. Yeah. I have never in recent history talked to somebody that said that most people just say, yeah, you know, I get home from work and I got this going on. I got that going on. And when I push back on them, normally what I find out is, okay, you could wake right. up earlier. Yeah. You could go to sleep earlier. You could streamline this bit of your, your life a little bit to find X amount of minutes or hours in your day. Yeah. And you don't, but the, the thing is you don't know, you don't know how long you spend on your phone. You don't know how long you spend watching TV. You don't know how long you spend commuting. You don't know how long you spend getting ready in the morning yeah. and you can't optimize what you don't own. You don't know what's going on in your life. You can't change anything that's going to be beneficial to you. So for people that say they don't have time, the first thing you got to do is figure out where's your time going. Do a time audit is yeah. what it's called. Yeah. I had a mentor a year or two ago say, because uh, I, I just talked about like feeling worn out because I was running out of time and I couldn't do the things I wanted mm -hmm. to do. And she was like, will you just write down a day in the life of Laura? Mm -hmm. Like from the minute you wake up to the minute mm -hmm. you go to bed. And she actually went a step further and said, put a plus by the things that satisfy you Ooh, yeah. and a, a minus by the things that drain you mm -hmm. and then see... Can you rearrange that? Those mm -hmm. things that drain you, are they absolutely necessary? Yeah, it's a great and if question. If they don't match up with your values, why are you doing them? Mm -hmm. And it was really life-giving. Yeah, that's massive. Yeah, eye-opening too. And here's the thing. If you find a lot of negatives around things that you consider non-negotiables or immutable in your schedule, it may be time for you to consider changing. So for some people, that's a job. My job oh, yeah. drains the life out of me. Okay, I think it might mean that you need to consider changing your job. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no rule that says you can't change something about your work, even mm -hmm. if you're 30, 40, 50, 60. Yeah. You can change it, especially if you find out that it doesn't align with your values. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great point. It's, it can be intimidating and mm -hmm. definitely I would say countercultural. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but I think it's, if you, man, we, we hone in on this every episode, I feel like talking about purpose and values, mm -hmm. but at the end of our life, if we've spent a decade or more doing things that don't get us where we mm -hmm. want to be or satisfied who we feel like we were created to be. Mm -hmm. Why? That's right. God's yeah. given me a job to do on this earth. Yeah. And if I've identified that my, my work or my commute mm -hmm. or my friendships are getting in the way of the role that God's given me, yeah. then I am actually living in disobedience 
to not get rid of those things in some capacity. Yeah. And if you think about it, you can get even more, not ridiculous, but um, extreme. If you think about it, Ben Bergeron gives this, gives this example, uh, who is, he's a bit of a polarizing individual. I don't recommend everything that he says. I don't espouse <laughs> all of his beliefs. <laughs> yeah. But one thing he says is uh, he has a rule in his gym where you're not allowed to complain. And that's true of stuff like the weather. Yeah. Like he says, you shouldn't complain about stuff that you don't have control over. Absolutely. And you shouldn't complain about stuff you do have control over. Because you should change it. You should change it. That's right. I love that. And then he goes so far to say, you don't have control over the weather, or do you? Do you hate living in wet, rainy weather all the time? Move somewhere where it's not wet and rainy all the time. Move to Southern California. Yeah. You have some control over that. Sure. You can't avoid all the obstacles in your life. But if you've really determined this is a drag on who I'm created to be, mm-hmm. and it's keeping me from living to my potential, then you can change that most of the time. Now, right. I do find it necessary to point out that there are some things that are not fun to do that we're created to do. Oh, absolutely. You know, like it's, it's not always fun to stick it out when relationships get tough. It's not fun to wake up with your kid when they're crying. Sure. It's not fun when your spouse, for whatever reason, is disagreeing with you about something. Yeah. Like you do not get the... Um, the license to give up on things that you know you're required to do. So as a man, I don't care. I've told this Laura multiple times. If you leave, I'm coming with you. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. I don't care what happens in our marriage. I'm not going anywhere and we're going to find a way to make it work. Yeah. And if I'm miserable for 20 years, I pray that day never comes. But if it does, that's something that will never go away. Right. I don't leave because I'm unhappy or unsatisfied. Yeah. But because I've established, however, before any of this hypothetical misery happens. <laughs> I've already established, <laughs> which I hope again, I don't think will ever come, but I've already established this is a non-negotiable in my life, Yeah. which means I don't complain about it. Thank you. And I look for ways to make it better and better all the time. Yeah. And so if we ever did hit some sort of disagreement, rough patch, whatever in our life, I'm not going anywhere and I'm going to be working to change it. Yeah. And I made that decision a long time ago. Yeah, I'm really grateful for that. So just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you need to leave. But what I'm saying is if things are taking your life away yeah. and they don't align with your values, which you have to have clear, mm-hmm. then I think you should change them. Yeah, and and for us as believers, it also has to be a prayerful consideration. Mm-hmm. Like So even with you know your job change, yeah. like you kind of felt that tension, mm-hmm. but you, you stayed in it for a while and then prayed and and spoke with wise, mm-hmm. wise counsel, people you trusted, mm-hmm. before you made that decision. Yeah, for because, like months and months and yeah, months. <laughs> because we know that just because something's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, you don't have to well, Sometimes ties. it does. Sometimes it is, yeah. But, you know, as, as believers, there's a lot of hope in the fact that we can pray and know that the Lord's not trying to hide something mm-hmm. from us. Mm-hmm. So if we ask, He's going to show us what He wants, mm-hmm. and then He's going to enable us to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. That's right. And vice versa. Yeah. But that's a, a bit of a tangent from our, our original discussion. Yeah, I don't even know where we started. Well, the important thing we were talking about is if you can change your schedule yes. to give yourself more time, I think you should, if mm-hmm. you've determined that this is really valuable to you and is going to make positive change in your life. I think you should. I think you need to make changes that will let you do the things are most that are, you've considered are most important to you. Yes. So that's one thing for people that don't have time is evaluate your schedule, do a time audit and mm-hmm. look for free time. First of all, that you don't have to rearrange for. Yeah. Like, could you feasibly wake up 30 minutes earlier and reduce the amount of time it takes you to get out the door? Okay. Yeah. Well, there's 45 minutes of gym time. Mm-hmm. Could you get a, a 
babysitter or some childcare to give you an extra hour in the day. There you go. Yeah. There's some things that are free and some things that are not free that you could find time in your day to help you get where you're trying to go with some of this. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's uh, that's one thing that we can do. What what other options do we have? What other systems can we put in place? One of the biggest things, in my opinion, is an accountability system. Yeah. Which is as simple as having someone else that goes to the gym with you. Mm-hmm. Because we've talked about this in earlier episodes too. It's raining outside, it's cold, I'm tired, and I'm sore. I don't want to go to the gym. But I know Jeremy, hypothetical friend's name, <laughs> is there waiting on me by 6 o'clock. And if I'm not there, then I'm going to hear from Jeremy about it. And Jeremy's thinking the same thing about me. Yeah. And so that's a system I don't have to touch. I know the input is Tyler, Jeremy, Jerome, whatever, is going to be there. The output is, so will I. Yeah. And it's an automatic system. I don't have to do anything. I just have to set it up. Say, hey, can you come to the gym with me Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6, and we'll get a workout in together? Mm-hmm. Boom. Okay. There you go. Or can I come to your house? Can you come to my house? And we'll run together or yeah. work out in the garage or, or whatever you've decided is important to you. But an accountability system increases the stakes, which increases the likelihood of our, our follow-through of a goal like that, and it increases our desire to follow through regardless of stakes. Yeah. That's a good point. Especially if you like the guy or the girl you're, you're working out with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that having an accountability partner you don't enjoy being around would, would yeah, be Yeah, that would trick. do the opposite. Yeah. All right. So those are some things. Um, para-workout, so mm-hmm. surrounding the workout. What about in the workout itself? So we talked mm-hmm. about choosing the program that matches your goal, having an accountability partner, rearranging your schedule, your mm-hmm. time. So once you once you walk in to the doors of the gym, What systems can you have in place to, again, maximize those gains with minimal amount of time? Because you said a minute ago, okay, that gives you 45 minutes in the gym. Mm -hmm. Is that enough? Yes, it is. Okay. 100%. To me, it means reducing complexity as much as possible. What do you mean by complexity? Um, Do the minimum amount that gives you the the most stimulus toward your goal. So for me, I actually have not done Olympic weightlifting in a while because it increases the complexity of movements that I perform, which Mm -hmm. increases the complexity of warm-ups I have to perform, which increases the amount of time I have to spend preparing to do the thing. And if I only have 45 minutes and my stated goal, which it is, is aesthetics and hypertrophy, then Olympic weightlifting is just just not going to get me where I want to go. And so reducing the complexity allows me to focus more quickly on the things that matter to me. So that's the next thing is, can you reduce complexity? But the second thing is, can you reduce your warm-ups? Some people don't warm up, and I think you need to do some kind of warming Absolutely. up. Absolutely. You're talking other to people, a PT, so. Yeah. <laughs> other people warm up for 20 minutes before yeah. they start, and I think that's too much. And I've done both. Sure. I've done the no warm-up, Same. and I've done the 20-minute warm-up. What should be the goal of the warm-up? So if you read the... National Strength and Conditioning Association textbook. The, <laughs> which you have. <laughs> which I have. The protocol is called RAMP. You want to raise, yeah. activate, uh, mobilize, and potentiate. So you raise body temperature, blood pressure, heart rate, stroke volume, resp- respiratory rate, etc. That increase in all of those general systems within the body mm-hmm. tends to lend itself toward increased muscle power, increased muscle force, and decreased muscle viscosity. In other words, um, an increased feeling of uh, flexibility and decreased friction within the muscle. It's like warming up silly putty. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's raise. Uh, activate would be use the muscles you want to use in the workout in less demanding but still fruitful ranges of motion and under loads that aren't taxing to the body. So if you're going to do a bunch of 
heavy squatting, do some air squats. Yeah. Mobilize would be get access to ranges of motion you require for the movements you're about to do. Mm-hmm. So if I'm about to do some back squats and I know that my hip flexors have been kind of tight recently because I've been doing a lot of sitting, I might do a little bit of stretching for my hip flexors and maybe some sort of specific mobilization. So I might use the heavy resistance band and do some hip internal external rotation or something like that in order to gain some access to new ranges of motion. But then that always gets followed up by potentiation which is using the muscles we just mobilized in a way that's going to set them up for most the most amount of power and force output during the movement. So going right. back to the back squat example, if I stretched out my hip flexors, I have more access to range of motion, increased flexibility, but decreased power output. Good mm-hmm. thing being you don't need hip flexors for power output in the squat very much. Right. However, I need to utilize the muscles that are going to be used in the motion I'm about to perform in ways that increase its power. So that could be a couple of jump squats, that could be some lunges, that could be some fast squats with an empty bar on my back, something like that. So you can do all of that in five minutes. Yeah. So what about days though, that you have a full body workout? Does that make your warm up last longer? It doesn't make mine last longer because I pretty much just warm up for the first thing that I'm doing. And then my body temperature, breathing sure. rate, it's, it all starts to rise and continues to rise as I perform that workout. The yeah. change being say I'm warming up for bench press first in the gym yeah. and I'm about to do some squats afterward. Well, I'm going to have to warm up my legs specifically. Right. So I might in between some sets, and I do this every now and again, as I'm finishing bench press, I might actually go over to a squat rack to claim it, first yeah. of all. <laughs> <laughs> and then I might do a couple of air squats and then a couple of squats with a barbell on my back. And then I might do walking lunges back to the bench press and do my final set of bench. Yeah. Because walking lunges are not going to hurt my bench press. Right. But it will speed up my time to getting ready for my back squat. Yeah. So reducing your warm up time is one of the big ones. For people that don't warm up at all, you should warm up. Yeah. But for people that warm up for 20 minutes, you can probably get away with a lot less warming up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just a little hop on the bike for a couple of minutes. Uh-huh. Do a couple of body weight versions of whatever you're about to do. Do some lightweight versions of whatever you're about to do. Maybe do some stretching if you need it. Throw a little bit of weight on the bar, move it quickly, and then get into your working sets. Yeah. So uh, you have your general warm up at the beginning of the session. For each individual... Um, set so mm-hmm. not set excuse me um, exercise. exercise yeah before you do your working set do you typically do a warm-up if i haven't done the pattern yet yeah so okay. if i'm doing flat bench i'll do two to five warm-up sets mm-hmm. depending on how heavy i'm going that day but if i do dumbbell bench right after my flat bench then i'll just go right into dumbbell bench yeah no need to warm up yeah. okay so i just jump right into whatever i think is close to my heaviest weight and if i guess a little low on my first set then i'll consider it a warm-up set and i'll do my next sets as working sets gotcha so there's there's room for uh warm-up sets throughout the workout yes yeah all right what other things can you do to minimize your time well one is do less but do it better so yeah. that's a, a minimalism mindset in general mm-hmm. but a lot of people just throw volume at their bodies like throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks <laughs> you know they're yeah, just like i'm so just gonna true. do as much as i can do in hopes that whenever i finish this it'll be enough quote unquote, to get me whatever I need out of the gym. Right. And so what I think is a much better idea is identify the few things that have the most impact. We Mm -hmm. call that stimulus to fatigue ratio and raw stimulus magnitude, SFR and uh, RSM. So identify the exercises that give you the biggest stimulus and don't make you feel terrible on the inside and really do those very well. So instead of doing flat bench and dumbbell bench and dumbbell incline bench and then weighted push-ups and then dumbbell flies 
you could probably just do three to four sets of flat bench and do it way more effectively and cut yeah. out 75% of everything else. <laughs> okay, so when you say do it more effectively, I have a picture of what that looks like, but mm-hmm. can you paint that for our listeners? For people that are looking for hypertrophy, it looks like um, going very close to failure, which, by the way, most people just don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. They don't understand how painful it is and that it's supposed to feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's one thing. And then it also requires deep ranges of motion. The deeper the stretch, the more hypertrophic effect that's been validated across multiple studies mm-hmm. across multiple years. It also requires a control controlled eccentric range of motion, or excuse me, a controlled eccentric muscle contraction. Yeah. So during the lowering range of motion, you know, on the bench press example, as you're lowering the bar to your chest, it needs to be under controlled or relatively slow. And it seems that the more time we spend in an eccentric range um, the greater the likelihood that we're getting an increased hypertrophic stimulus, it's not one-to-one positively proportional. Yeah. So you can't say if I spend six seconds on the way down, right. I'll get more hypertrophic benefit than if I spend three seconds. That's right. probably not the case. Right. But if you're just jerking the bar up and down, then you're probably not getting nearly the stimulus you could be getting if you were yeah. going slowly down and quickly up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got some uh, other facets coming into play there that we could get really exercise scienty about, mm-hmm. but we won't. But right. the train to failure is the biggest one. Yeah. Because I've taken a couple of people through a workout where we train to failure and we do three exercises and everyone's spent. Yeah. I feel like they're about to vomit. Yeah. I think too, uh, I don't see this as much on the bench, but especially with lower extremity workouts or lower body workouts, range of motion is huge. Mm-hmm. People want to put 225 pounds on a back squat mm-hmm. and go halfway yeah. to parallel. Right. Drop that sucker down to 135 mm-hmm. and get your booty down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like You'll gain that, a lot you're going to get muscle. way more stimulus. Mm-hmm. And again, depends on what your goal is. Right. If your goal is being able to do a half squat with 225, well, you sure. accomplish it. But yeah, if your goal on. is muscle growth stimulus, mm-hmm. then lighten the weight mm-hmm. and drop down further. Mm-hmm. And if you've, uh, Johnny used the term earlier, uh, fatigue to, or stimulus to fatigue ratio. Um, that will make a huge difference too. Mm-hmm. Like if you can use lower weights, mm-hmm. your stimulus is can still be really high mm-hmm. and your fatigue is much better on mm-hmm. your, your whole body, mm-hmm. your joints, your central nervous system. Mm-hmm. It still hurts. Right. But it's just a completely different... You can uh, recover faster. Yes. And you don't feel as drained right. from your workout. Mm-hmm. So training to failure is something that people don't understand. And I have seen many people who struggle to to do it effectively. And so I think it's worth talking about really quickly. And the best example I have, and I gave my students this semester, the same example is I actually found this true of myself. So I was doing hamstring curls one day this semester. I thought, okay, I'm going to train a failure or at least get really close. And I had been training historically to that point with some weight, right? I don't know, hundred something pounds, whatever on the hamstring curl machine, uh, which every machine is different. So that should mean nothing to anybody out there. (laughs) It's just a point of reference. And so I was doing 12 reps, and I was considering that failure or very close. Yeah. And so I just said, okay, I'm just going to push straight to failure. And I think I got 18 Ooh, reps. Yeah, and I eight gauged, rep difference. I gauged, uh, well, it's a six rep difference. Oh, but, you said 12, didn't you? Uh-huh. I thought you said 10. But I gauged failure as I can no longer bring the pad to my butt anymore. Mm-hmm. So the pad has to touch my legs at the top and I have to control it at least one to two seconds on the way down, all the way down until the weight stack touches. Yeah. And I got that 18 times. It was wow. 16, 16 to 18, something like that. Either way, my ballpark for, and and this is true of most literature, 
for hypertrophic stimulus is you got to be within three reps from failure to right. see benefit. I was four minimum reps from failure, yeah. and I thought I was training my hamstrings well. Yeah. But I was not because I wasn't approximating failure of almost any variety. So I think the big point there is you should probably at some point test failure to see how far you can go. We've said this before in the podcast as well. Don't do it on something that's going to hurt you unless you have a spotter. So right. don't test your failure on bench press <laughs> unless you yeah. have a spotter. Please. But control the eccentric and then be sure that as you're um, performing your reps, your range of motion stays consistent. So you're, mm-hmm. you're always touching your chest every time and you're going back to the same place every time and you're not taking long breaks in between reps. And anyway, all those uh, markers of good exercise technique. But right. if you're training close to failure, you won't need four more exercises to oh, finish your chest not. off. Yeah, you'll be hitting <laughs> failure in like rep four <laughs> yeah. Yeah. of the next exercise. So yeah. it wouldn't even be beneficial. Yeah. We know, we, you've mentioned before, like eight reps for hypertrophic mm-hmm. gain, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it wouldn't even be beneficial to do the other exercise. Right. So we've talked about how to maximize the effect of the exercise session or your training by how to perform the exercises. What about in between exercises? So even in between uh, sets of the same exercise and then from one exercise to another rest time, right? We're talking about not wanting to spend too much time in the gym. Mm -hmm. So obviously you don't want to just be sitting there for five minutes in between sets. Right. What's an appropriate amount of time to spend resting? Well, it depends on your goals again, but generally the answer is between 30 seconds to two minutes. So the easiest way I define it is as soon as you feel strong enough to do what you got to do. Yeah. That doesn't mean you feel as strong as you have to be to be the best you can be. But it just means if I just finished a hard bench press set in 30 seconds, I probably won't be ready to get a good bench press set in again. In Mm -hmm. other words, be able to get a good amount of reps and put out a good amount of force. Yeah. But I need to be recovered enough to be able to do another good set. So if I can do it in 30 seconds, that would save me a bunch of time. If I can do it in a minute, a minute and a half, that'd be great too. Anything over two minutes, unless you're doing some really heavy strength work, it's probably overkill. Yeah. So why is it overkill? Is it detrimental? It's not detrimental. It's just unnecessary. And in some cases, you could get more tension and more metabolic byproduct just by decreasing the time. Yeah. In between your, your sets. I think anyone who's ever worked out has experienced that mm-hmm. before. <laughs> yeah. So if you do a set of pushups to failure and then you wait five minutes to do it again, you, you'll feel okay and you might even get a decent score. If you wait 30 seconds and do it again, oh. you'll get like five pushups yeah, <laughs> and you'll absolutely. feel toasted and you'll get a huge pump, which is awesome. Yeah. And so if your goal is to get a pump, then reducing your rest time will get you more of a pump and make that exercise more effective. And so instead of having to do four different kinds of bench variations, mm-hmm. you can just do one and maybe do three sets of that and then maybe do two sets of another one and you're done for chest for yeah. three days. <laughs> and you save time from doing less volume, mm-hmm. less exercises, mm-hmm. less sets, and less rest time. That's right. So you just, I mean, it, you what might have taken you 20 just took mm-hmm. you less than 10, right. more than likely. And a good way to do that, by the way, there's two things I see, especially guys, actually, no, that's not true, girls and guys doing in the gym that waste time in between sets. Is one, get on your phone. So just stop. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Just put a podcast on or leave your phone somewhere else. Yeah. Or not, not even a podcast. Put music on, whatever you want, and put your phone in your pocket or away and don't mm-hmm. look at your phone. I've seen people on Instagram in between sets. 
Yeah. I knew a guy that read books in between sets, which made me really frustrated in the gym. Yep. There were people that text in between sets, and you may think, oh, it's just a quick text, but it takes you two minutes to do that. And then you got to change the song on Spotify so you can get ready for your next bench set. It's been sure. three minutes since your last set, and you're, all that adds up between every set. You've just added 15 minutes to your workout yeah. just by goobing around on your phone. Yeah, absolutely. Second thing I see people do is just gawking at themselves in the mirror. <laughs> just stop it and Gawking. move on yeah <laughs> i understand checking out the pump nothing wrong with that and sure. i do it all the time i yeah. like to make sure i'm getting what i'm trying to get done it does not take long to assess in the mirror oh i do think my triceps are a little bit pumped right now and sure. then move on but if yeah. you're taking selfies in the mirror and you're looking at yourself from different angles and you're goobing around with your hair and you're trying to make sure that your shirt's right you know right facing the right direction or whatever all yeah. that crap one you look ridiculous but Everyone does it. I say everyone. A lot of people do it. Two, you're wasting time. Yeah. I feel like that might be a pet peeve of yours. Like we just hit a button. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. But all manner of just doing things. Oh, the third thing is just chatting. People just chatting up. And I really don't enjoy it when people come chat me up when I'm at the gym. Because as a father now, I have about 45 minutes per workout. Yeah. If you talk to me for five, that's an exercise that I can't do. Right. That's an entire exercise that I can't do. Yeah. I scrapped a workout the other day because someone came to talk to me in the gym for so long. Which I made the choice to talk to him because it was an old friend I hadn't seen in a long time. And so I decided I'm going to talk to him because this is worth an entire day of exercising because I hadn't seen him in so long. So that was a happy trade for me. But... For plenty of people, when they come up and talk to me in the gym, they think, oh, he's just working out. I'm going to catch him real quick and just ask him a question, or, yeah. or which I don't mind, or see how he's doing, whatever. But most of the time, if I'm in the gym, I have 45 minutes. I just don't want to spend five minutes talking to you about X, Y, or Z shooting the bull. Yeah, I get it. Which may sound rude, but it's similar to if I came in to do a specific job for somebody and got interrupted, I would feel a little frustrated because I'm supposed to be doing this job and they gave me a time limit. Yeah. I gave myself a time limit to do a job. Yeah, I came in fair. to do a very specific thing and I have a time limit and I'm, I'm usually coming back home so that you could go work out. Yeah. So me goobing around with Joe Schmo when he's talking to me about his workout, which again, I don't mind doing. I'm looking at time ticking off of one of our workouts. Yeah. <laughs> Yours or mine. Right. So not talking to people in the gym as l- much as it sounds like it lacks cordiality does decrease the time you spend in the gym. Yeah, and I think there's a way, if you really enjoy the gym community and mm-hmm. interacting, and you should. there are ways that you can do that and still get an awesome workout. Totally. Like, I mean, the CrossFit community, come on. Like, but when well, do they one, talk? Yeah, I was about to say, one, they're probably not talking much during their workouts, nope. but get to the gym early, mm-hmm. especially if That's you have right. a class. That's right. Show up 10 minutes early, mm-hmm. take your time getting ready, mm-hmm. stay after. Right. But there are some people, aka Johnny and me, who have 45 minutes in their mm-hmm. scheduled day, and it is a little frustrating yeah. getting derailed by someone just wanting to ask you about your beard length. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But if you're if you're working out with a partner, it's easy to talk in between sets. Yeah. And one quick way to make sure you, you stay on target is just have a stopwatch going. Yeah, that was when you were talking about the phone. Uh, that was one thing I actually used on the Train Heroic app that you mm-hmm. sent me a program through is there was a timer built in mm-hmm. and because I was using it to check to see what my exercises were and I was recording mm-hmm. my sets and reps, it had built in timer. So about complete exercise mm-hmm. and then it would set a timer for 60 seconds and it had a, an audible reminder, hey, it's time to do your next set. That's cool. I really liked that mm-hmm. because I'm I'm that person that's like, Oh, who could I talk to right now? <laughs> Not normally, but right. you just depends get distracted. on. Yeah, I do mm-hmm. get distracted in the gym, probably because I don't want to do the next set. Sure. 
want to have a little more time so it doesn't hurt as bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it can be beneficial to mm-hmm. have a timer and either a visual or audible reminder to right. do your next set. Yeah, I realize I sound kind of crabby about people talking to me in the gym. Right now I am because in my season of life, I have to maximize every minute I can. And if that's you, you're listening to this and you're a dad or a mom and you're trying to reduce your time in the gym, then you might have to reduce some of the time you spend talking to people. Yeah. But if that's the part of the gym that you really enjoy and makes you come to the gym, mm-hmm. don't get rid of it altogether. Right. Just find a way to make it serve you and yeah. not uh, make you a slave to it. Well, and I found too, like on on certain days that maybe I was working out in between my classes that I was teaching, mm-hmm. um, what what worked for me is just say like, hey, I really want to keep talking, but do you mind if I jump into the next, the next set? Mm-hmm. And like, keep talking to me, or I can even talk potentially while I'm doing the set, depending on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to be rude, and I do want to talk to them. But I know I got five minutes before I got to be mm-hmm. back to class. Right. So it's a it's a keep going, keep talking, or I'm I'm done with a workout, and I'm done talking to you. <laughs> right. And the one thing that I've been doing in the past year or so is just saying I can't really answer that question right now. But if you shoot me an email, I'd love to answer it. Or yeah. shoot me a text and we'll set up a time to meet and we can actually discuss this. Yeah. I don't know how many people are getting those questions in the gym besides you though. Yeah, that might be true. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably point. why people come and talk to you in the gym because you're yeah. a professional in the workspace. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Showing off all your skills, mm, your knowledge. Like mm. Yeah. All right. So what about last question about during the workout? how to pair exercises or not to pair exercises. Mm-hmm. So we talked about like if you're focusing on chest, mm-hmm. right? And however many ways you want to do an exercise for chest, but mm-hmm. say you're doing just an upper body push pull day mm-hmm. and you're, you've got bench and lat pull downs mm-hmm. is supersetting a good idea mm. or is it better to do all of your bench and then all of your lat pull downs? Yeah, I think it depends. If you don't have a lot of time, supersetting is a great idea. You will notice an interference effect. If you do a bunch of lat pulldowns really heavy to failure, your bench will be harder than if you didn't do that. And yeah. if you're trying to really get a bunch of stimulus into the chest, period, then you will be distracted by the lat pulldowns. And you won't be able to stimulate your chest growth as well as if you just did bench press alone by sure. itself. But if you're trying to gain time, and time is more important than that last 10% of stimulus to your chest, mm-hmm. then it's a great idea to join them together and to do a superset. And you can either do a compound or a superset, which would be either I'm going to put a bench press with another chest movement. Yeah. So I might do a bench press and push-ups mm-hmm. together and rest 30 seconds to a minute in between each exercise. Or a superset where I would do a bench press and a non-competing muscle group right. back-to-back. So yeah. lap pull-down or something completely different. I have my athletes all the time because we have almost no time. And I'm working with 25 people at a time in the gym. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough time to do straight sets. So we'll do bench press paired with Bulgarians, yeah. which is a brutal combination. Yes, it is. <laughs> but you, you're not going to worry about my Bulgarians messing up your bench press. It's right. just not going to happen for most people. Some people it might. And your bench press is not going to mess up your Bulgarians. Sure. Then your deadlift might mess up your Bulgarians and vice versa. And so yeah. we don't combine those exercises. But for athletes that are low on time, I recommend pairing, we call them sensible supersets. Yeah. So pairing exercises that are non-competing in a way that lets you get both done pretty well, not as good as if you could do them separate, but pretty well in about half the time that it would take to do both straight. So it sounds like the biggest pro is time. So if time is your issue, supersets are a good idea. But if, if time is not a problem for mm-hmm. you and you're looking for maximal stimulus, mm-hmm. it's better to just do them in isolation. Depending on the kind of stimulus you want. If you want very big stretch alone, that's probably true. If you're looking for the biggest pump possible, then supersetting can be really useful for that because sure. you don't necessarily care about the weight 
right? Yeah. So if I'm doing, um, maybe I'm doing a dumbbell fly combined with a dumbbell bench press, mm-hmm. uh, I, my weight's going to go down every set because yeah. I'm going to be losing, I'm going to be fatiguing so quickly, but yeah. I'm going to get a gnarly pump, which is, that's the goal. That's great. But if mm-hmm. I'm trying to use lots of weight to get lots of tension into the muscle, then I probably want to do straight sets. So you. what I tend to do is I won't superset anything for the first couple compounds. And then on my accessories, I'll superset. Yeah. So two tricep movements back to back superset. I get a crazy pump and it speeds up my rate of performance yeah. or I'll do a tricep and a bicep or I'll do shoulders or whatever it is as a superset. Have you ever found that supersetting earlier in the workout is, has more of a detrimental effect on the later exercises? So like if you were to superset, cause you do get that bigger pump, mm-hmm. is it then harder to complete the rest of your exercises? Sometimes. And sometimes that's what you want. Yeah. But most of the time I prefer to do my straight sets first because I actually care about my bench press weight or my squat weight or my deadlift sure. weight or whatever. And I, I do want to get, I want to have noticeable progression. It's very difficult to know if I'm getting stronger in my rep range during a superset. Yeah. So if I'm doing bench press and bench flies, or dumbbell flies back to back, my bench press is going to be so hampered by the flies that I don't really know how right. strong I'm getting in my rep range yeah. and progression in the rep range is a key to progression and muscle growth. Yeah. So doing straight sets helps me guarantee that I'm getting stronger or at least identify if I'm getting stronger in the rep range. I gotcha. Okay. I like it. Makes, makes sense to me. Good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what about, um, let's talk about recovery as a way to maximize your gains. A big part of that is going to be nutrition. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can go ahead and sweep nutrition into this if you want, Mm -hmm. or just segue straight into nutrition. But what recovery steps can you take to make sure that you didn't waste any of your time in the gym? Does that make sense? I think so. But could you maybe ask it from another angle? So say I just spent 45 minutes in the gym and accomplished all I wanted to accomplish in my upper body workout. Mm -hmm. Are there things I could do inappropriately Mm. uh, after the workout or even just throughout that day or Mm -hmm. that week that would um, minimize the gains I should Mm -hmm. have gotten? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's kind of funny because it flies in the face of what most people, including professionals, recommend. Um, Almost any kind of cool down is probably going to hurt your gains. Yeah, like <laughs> so, the stretching. Yeah, stretching, mm-hmm. cardio, dynamic movement. It's almost all going to hurt your gains. Now, that's beneficial if you're a performance athlete. So I need to not feel sore tomorrow. Sure. Okay, do some stretching, do some low-intensity cardio, do some dynamic movement, whatever you need to do to kind of get loose again. Yeah. So for my basketball guys, if they're about to have a workout later on, like an individual workout, uh, they may need to do some stretching and some movement just to try to feel loose mm-hmm. after they leave a, a strong workout. But for people that want to just get the most muscle growth possible, go sit down yeah. and eat food. <laughs> <laughs> Intake of carbohydrates and protein is yeah. the biggest thing that you can do to recover quickly and keep the hypertrophic stimulus alive. Yeah. I think the two other things that come to my mind would be like sleep and stress, mm-hmm. which you do have some control over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stress part. Sleep, hopefully you have a lot of control over. Mm-hmm. So what? how much sleep do you need? Uh, how important is stress management in muscle gain? Mm, that's a very interesting question, and it's very individual. Yeah. But we know some generalities that we can talk about really quickly. So stress is mediated predominantly by epinephrine, norepinephrine, and cortisol. These are all um, stress hormones within the body, the predominant one being cortisol, which has a number of very um, deleterious effects if perceived in the long term by the body, but a number of very positive effects used in the short term. In yep. fact, cortisol in the short term has been linked to hypertrophic gains because the stress 
involved in resistance training is what requires growth by the body. And we want increased perception of stress by the body in order to respond with some sort of anabolic uh, recovery adaptation. So for our cortisol levels to stay high over the long term is probably going to be detrimental. And ways that we can reduce that are going to be useful tactics for us in terms of increasing our recovery. Yeah. So short-term cortisol, not bad. In fact, probably good. Right. Long-term cortisol, not good, probably bad. So how can we limit that? <laughs> so stress is really in the eye of the beholder or perhaps the brain of the perceiver. <laughs> yeah. Stress is limited to your appraisal of a situation. Mm-hmm. And so a stress is only negative if you perceive it to be potentially dangerous. Right. You or your body. Mm-hmm. And you're you're it's impossible for you to disconnect from your body. So if you perceive a stimulus to be negatively stressful, then your body does too. Right. But if you perceive a cognitive stress as positive, even if someone else would consider it negative, then your body will respond positively as well. Absolutely. And so a stress is only what we would, what we would understand it as a stressor is only a stress negatively. If you perceive it to be an imbalance between your capacity to respond and what is required by the situation. Sure. So if I feel inadequate to respond to a given situation based on the resources I have available, I'm going to perceive that situation as stressful. Yep. But if I perceive that situation as within my control and that I have agency within that situation and that perhaps even the situation is causing beneficial change to me, then physiologically I'll receive positive benefit from the same situation. Mm -hmm. So it really does depend on your perception. Which means to me, counseling is a really big lever to pull Absolutely. in terms of reducing chronic mm-hmm. stress. Yeah. Sissy Goff, who is a, a counselor in Nashville, Tennessee, she's got a couple books and a podcast. Um, she said, she described anxiety as underestimating yourself and overestimating your problem. Mm-hmm. And so if you just heard Johnny describe stress, he was talking about an accurate depiction. Mm-hmm. But if you have an inaccurate picture of that situation mm-hmm. and then you may be suffering from anxiety, clinical mm-hmm. anxiety. And so Johnny and I both are big, uh, big believers in counseling. So I agree. Yeah. Counseling, I mean, saved our relationship for lack of a better word. I yeah. was our dating relationship. Yeah. 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 Still, I mean, I was in desperate need of counseling and you and my mom both had asked me to go to counseling for a long, long time. My mom had been working on me for years, I think to go to counseling. Uh, and I just kind of fought it for a long time. And then eventually I went and I realized I'm working with somebody to give me tools that are going to equip my mind to be more resilient, stronger, more robust, more agile. Yeah. It's going to make me more effective in the world. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what happened. I just got tools to evaluate, to properly and accurately evaluate my situations and then respond accordingly. Yeah. And I increased my own sense of agency Mm -hmm. and it changed my, it changed my posture. It changed my, my bearing, my mentality spiritually. it, It had positive effects for me. And so, Counseling is a big lever to pull if you've been experiencing chronic stress. And Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that, in my opinion, counseling did for me was help me to identify what those negative things were and then properly evaluate their role in my life and then properly evaluate the correct mode of response. Sure. So I know counseling is not that for everyone. Yeah. But for me, that's what really helped me out a lot in counseling. So, And that doesn't have to come from a licensed clinical social worker. Right. That can come from mentorship. It can come from friendship. It can come from reading development books. Yeah. It can come from journaling. There's a mm-hmm. bunch of things that you can do that help you appraise your situation appropriately. And then um, 
create tactics and strategies to respond. Uh, Absolutely. And so you can even do this. Alex Ramosi is famous for doing this. Um, consider yourself in the future and how future you would tell you to respond to your current situation. Hmm. You're dealing with something stressful at work. And then you talk to 20 years from now you who's already been through it and it's just a memory to him or to her Hmm. and just ask him or her, what should I do here? And and am I going to be okay? And assume that that they're the ideal version of you. What would they say? Yeah. And maybe take their advice, but you can at least get some perspective outside of your own. It's just a way to elevate your perspective from in it and and unable to see the forest for the trees to 30,000 feet to see what does this look like in the grand scheme of my life. It's a big difference. And another way you can do this is considering yourself giving yourself advice as if you were talking to someone else. Hmm. So a lot of us in certain situations have a coach in our head that's really unhelpful. Sure. And so the, you know, in a stressful situation, the coach in your head says, I don't think you're up for this. You're not ready. This is the worst case scenario. Yeah, you always screw this up. Yeah. This is what always happens to you. You always mess things up. And we would never say that to a friend yeah. or to a spouse or a loved yeah. one. You know, if someone comes to us and says, man, I'm really having this stressful time at work. We don't say, yeah, that sounds about accurate. You suck. <laughs> like we just don't say that <laughs> or yeah. we shouldn't. And if you do, you should reevaluate. Yeah. But we should try to listen to coach me to me, how I would want to be coached. Okay. I'm going to run that back. We should try to speak to ourselves in the voice of the coach we would want to hear for ourselves. Yes. And we yeah. should use the coach that we would say to other people. So yeah. if someone else comes to me and asks for coaching on a certain situation, I would talk to them in a specific way that would be helpful toward sure. them. Yeah. You should talk to yourself the same way. Yeah, you what should you're talk saying. to yourself that way. Yeah. yeah. That was a very convoluted way of getting that point across. Nah, I'm, I'm following. <laughs> but the, the biggest physiological lever we have for dissipating stress is sleep. It's yeah. the number one... Um, lever to pull in terms of reducing physiological stress, reducing levels of long-term cortisol release and um, uptake in the body. And so if you're looking at um, stress as a bathtub, you know, you're thinking about uh, input of stress being the water, right? I turn on the faucet, water's pouring into the bathtub. That's input of stress. It's normal for it to ebb and flow throughout the day. But at nighttime, I unplug the drain and all the water runs out. That's the end of the bath. And I get to refresh and start up the next day. Yeah. If you're not sleeping, you're pouring stress, ebbing and flowing throughout the day. And you're plugging the drain 24 seven. Yeah. What happens to a bathtub over time? It's when it overflows. Yep. It yeah. overflows. Yeah. So if you're not sleeping adequately, then you're not giving yourself enough opportunity to decrease stress as mitigated by the hormone cortisol in the body. It yeah. doesn't get... Uh, taken doesn't get taken back up and processed by the body to be broken down. It doesn't ebb and flow correctly throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And so research evaluating proper levels of sleep show that the, the general um, line of demarcation, the meridian line for sleep deprivation is seven hours. Yeah. So if you're getting less than seven hours of sleep every night, <laughs> which I'm laughing because most of us get less. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the sleep queen. Yeah. I'm not. I get between six and seven most nights. But if you get less than seven hours of sleep, you're considered clinically sleep deprived. Yeah. Most people get around five or six. I think the average American gets around six and a half hours of That's sleep. That's so crazy to me. So most of us live in a state of sleep deprivation. Most of us also say, yeah, I just don't need that much sleep. I'm pretty good around five hours of sleep. What mm. we really are saying is I've adapted to five hours of right. sleep. Right. I now operate in this world of I only get five hours of sleep. Yes. And I forgot what eight hours consistently feels mm-hmm. like. 
And you're not going to get eight hour you back in one day of eight hour sleep. Right. So what I mean is you got too much debt to repay. If you've got, and the body keeps record of about two weeks worth of sleep debt. If you've got two weeks worth of sleep debt and you sleep eight hours one night, you'll probably feel worse the next day. Yeah, because your body is craving sleep and you finally started giving it back. Tease. Yeah. So the body just says, oh, give me more. Give me more sleep. You feel groggier and worse and worse until about two weeks later when you realize there's another world outside (laughs) and not everything feels disgusting, disgusting and gray and you're not tired all the time. Yeah. But it takes about two weeks of time. And so people... They give sleep a bad rap. They're like, yeah, I actually feel worse if I get eight hours of sleep. Like, yeah. If you do it once or twice. Yeah, Yeah. because you normally sleep five hours. And then on one weekend, you haven't got 10 hours of sleep. Yeah. Okay, you still have to pay back 40 hours of sleep. Right. So you didn't do much. Yeah. You know? So sleep is a big one. And finding ways to make sleep more streamlined is a huge, huge system to put in place in reducing overall levels of stress, increasing recovery, and increasing the the effectiveness of the work that you do inside the gym. Yeah. Can you give some examples of of systems that you've used to assist with your sleep when you just admitted to sleeping less than seven hours? Yeah. So I've actually, I've chosen intentionally, I've called it, actually I stole this this from, uh, oh shoot, I'm going to forget his name. I stole it from a guy. A guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I call it stealing from sleep. I'm intentionally depriving myself of sleep in this season because I've been staying up a little bit later to spend time with you and to relax a little bit together at night. And then I get up early to work on the business and to read the Bible before you guys get up so that I have time alone. Yeah. Because I think it's really important to me. So I've chosen. That's one important distinction I've made recently is that I've chosen to get less sleep. Yeah. I have not just kind of slipped into this. I've made the decision to get less sleep on purpose. Sure. Which will change in the next couple of weeks. But the systems And then it'll I, change again when the baby comes. That's right. Yeah. When the baby <laughs> comes again, it'll change. But the systems that I've used, one, having a consistent nighttime routine. So the 20 minutes leading up to bed look the same pretty much every night. Yeah. Uh, and these are all things you probably have heard before, but two, it's waking up around the same time every day, including on weekends. Mm -hmm. So instead of waking up at eight o'clock on weekends and five o'clock on the weekdays, waking up between five and six every day. Yeah. It's that works for me. Uh, two, when I am operating well, it's reading for 20, 30 minutes before I go to bed. So I decrease my screen time before I go to bed. I feel much, uh, more relaxed when I go to sleep, having my sleep environment very cool. So I prefer below 66 degrees with a baby. It's not as easy to do that. Apparently they have to stay warm at night or whatever <laughs> uh, because that allows you to get a relatively thick blanket and still be comfortably cool while right. you sleep. Um, so that's another one. Not working out later in the day. The later you work out in the day, the less adenosine pressure you can build up across the day yep. and the farther it pushes your bedtime. So yep. if you want to pull your bedtime closer in the day, work out earlier in the day and yeah. it'll increase the amount of adenosine pressure you feel. Adenosine is um, a byproduct of energy breakdown and or energy metabolism and uh, adenosine receptors in the brain are what identify sleepiness. Sleep pressure. Yeah, sleep yeah. pressure, which caffeine actually reduces the effectiveness. It blocks the the receptors for adenosine, right. reducing your, your sensation of sleepiness. Mm-hmm. So that's the second one, is reducing caffeine intake past around 11 a.m. Yeah. Will increase your effectiveness for sleep. But then the routines are most important, in my opinion. So having the same routines uh, when I go to sleep and when I wake up every day, but a big one... Uh, is having something to wake up to every day. So I have a routine when I wake up that I know I enjoy and makes me 
um, confident I'm moving closer toward my goals. Sure. Um, that helps a lot. But then the rest of it is carving out the time. I have to set aside time in my day where I say, okay, I'm going to get things done now to make sure that I have the time to be in bed by nine. Yeah. And so that might mean I don't get to watch two hours of TV. Yeah. Well, also, I don't remember the last time you were in bed before nine. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. And again, that's on purpose. I've chosen to do yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, that will change very soon. And then again, like you said, when the baby comes, it'll change again. But anyway, that's you just got to make decisions instead of reacting. Yeah. Make decisions where mm-hmm. I will turn off my device at... 8.30 or 9.30 right. or whatever you decide. Uh, and then I will go to bed. I'll be in bed by 9, so I'm asleep by 9.30. Yeah. there's There are more systems, but I think that's a pretty decent yeah. Oh, no, that's pretty overview. replete. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> all right, so anything else uh, you want to talk about nutritional strategy-wise? Because really all you said was get enough carbs, get enough protein after the workout. So um, should we save that for next episode? Yeah, I think we can get really into the weeds on nutritional strategies. Okay, yeah, in I fact, think so I wanna too. Get, I want to. I want to parlay what we consider to be nutritional systems for the next episode. So yeah. we've talked about training systems, mm-hmm. and I want to explain what I think are valid and useful nutritional systems yeah. in the next episode. So I want to get in the weeds on how to make it easy, make it a routine, and make sure that your inputs are getting your outputs. Right. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna leave you on the cliff here, <laughs> hanging by a thread. So you'll come back next episode and and find out some more about our nutritional systems, aka Johnny's nutritional systems. Sure. <laughs> uh, so maybe you can implement those. But uh, think about these training systems, give them a try, and as always, if you have questions, reach out. We got the Q and A on Spotify. Mm-hmm, that's right. Um, you can reach out to me on Instagram at Jonathan Wilson Official. If you have questions, hit me up in the DMs. Yeah, so if you have our our phone numbers, feel free to shoot us a text. We'll uh, we'll try to answer those questions either uh, back on the text or maybe in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, I think as you're considering applying these systems, you need to be thinking about what's going to get me closer to where I'm trying to go, and then how can I make it easy and or fun. Yeah. So how can I reduce the friction that I feel when doing X, Y, or Z? And then how can I increase the joy I experience when I'm doing X, Y, or Z? Right. And come up with creative solutions. And if you do come up with some creative solutions, we always want to know. Oh, for sure. So please let us know. If you've got any ideas, hit us up in the DMs or in the Q&A portion of the episode below. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Catch you in the next episode.